0: For Thursday, April 8th, 2021, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, for some people, a coronavirus infection
1: keeps them ill for months. When you think you have cleared some significant hurdles, this illness keeps coming back with a gut punch over and over and over. Adrienne
0: Levesque has been dealing with COVID-19 and its after effects for a year. She'll join me to share her story. That's next.
1: Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free.
0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Some people deal with the after-effects of a coronavirus infection for months. Adrian Levesque is one such COVID-19 long hauler. She first got sick in March of 2020 and mostly recovered, but a second round of COVID-19 hit her harder, and she's still dealing with its impacts. She's with me now to share her story. Adrian, thanks for talking with me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So before we get into your experience with COVID and the kind of lingering effects of coming down with COVID-19, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I am 48. I am a mother and grandmother of three children, three grandchildren, and a new one on the way. I am employed at my family business out here in the Gwinnett County area, and prior to COVID was very active. Loved to play tennis, golf, swim, um, things like that.
0: And I understand that even prior to your COVID experience, there were some health issues that you were dealing with. Can you tell me a little about that?
1: In 2012, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease, and began treatment for that. And about four years later, developed epilepsy. So those were the two major issues that I had. Some of the other secondary issues, I developed a little bit of asthma um, because my, my lungs happened to be a delicate place where illness would strike frequently because of the medications that I took for RA. They were intended to slow my immune system down a little bit. So if I, if I got sick, I would have an asthma flare, but it wasn't something that I was treated for daily.
0: So, I'm wondering if you can tell me, Adrian, when COVID first came into your life? When do you feel like you first actually contracted this disease?
1: Sure. I've just passed my one year anniversary. In March of last year, I started with a cough, as was typical for several years. I knew that the cough would lead to some respiratory difficulty, usually bronchitis, sometimes pneumonia. So I had all of my medication ready and at hand just in case something developed. My husband and I were traveling um, and very suddenly overnight, one night, I became very, very ill. I had an understanding with my doctor that if I ever got very, very ill suddenly to go ahead and start prednisone if I was having a, a difficulty breathing, and nebulized breathing treatments and to get in touch with my doctor as soon as possible. Because we were traveling, when I got in touch with a doctor, they referred me to an urgent care center. Urgent care center sent me to the emergency room where they told me that it was likely that I had COVID. I was tested. But back then, the results took about 10 days to two weeks to come back. I was very early on in the illness because it hit so quickly and we waited the two weeks to get the results. In the meantime, my doctor treated me with the COVID protocol that was known at the time because my symptoms were hallmark. I was progressing exactly like they had seen COVID patients to date. So we progressed that way. Results came back negative to that test. But the doctor said at the time they were seeing many, many patients with negative results that truly had COVID. So that's the way they treated me in that illness in March. I was ill through about the middle of May, was able to go back to work mid-June, and I was pretty healthy. I would say I recovered to about 80 or 90 percent, went back to work had a great month of July. And then in August, my husband contracted COVID and um, I got it from him. And my second infection was right around the 13th of August, which I did have a positive test to at that point.
0: How did that feel at that time? Was that surprising to you to get sick again?
1: It was very surprising to me. In fact, the morning that I woke up and I felt that familiar feeling in my chest and I knew immediately that I had it again. And I was very upset. I had heard of some reporting of people having a second infection and rumors of um, a mutation that was around that people were possibly that had been infected earlier were getting a different strain of the virus. And so I was quite worried, especially because this respiratory illness getting me twice in one year where I was already delicate, it was not an easy answer to hear.
0: We have seen some reports in the scientific literature of people who are immunosuppressed getting infected again. So walk me through kind of your, your next bout. So it's, it's August of, of 2020. You and your husband are both sick. Tell me about kind of what happened from there.
1: In August... The infection, of course I was coughing, and I had a few different symptoms this time. My temperature was higher, the congestion was worse, the body aches were worse, things like that, and really the cough sort of maintained at a level that I wasn't really worried about separate from the first infection, but then at about three-week mark, I took a very severe turn. It, it happened very quickly and suddenly my lungs were an issue. Um, having a very hard time breathing, it, it, it was a drastic change. At the time, I was under the, the care of a pulmonologist near me and he had me begin the understood protocol of high-dose prednisone, um, nebulizer treatments, also inhaled steroids, and pretty much I was Around the clock medicated at that point. I was having a hard time sleeping because the coughing um, was so bad. My oxygen saturation was Dipping low um, But not to the point where it would stay so low that they felt like I needed to be Admitted urgently into the hospital. There were a few times that I would dip down into the 80s But because I was recovering with a nebulized breathing treatment. They didn't push me too hard. It was suggested a few times that I go to the emergency room, um, but I was very scared, quite honestly. I did not want to be admitted to the hospital. I was afraid that if I went, I wouldn't come out.
0: How do you think about making that that transition from that period in the fall, late summer, where you got sick again, to kind of where you are now, where, where you're still dealing with the after effects of, of this disease?
1: Things changed with my lungs um, in September, and I started the very high doses of prednisone. I did a few rounds of antibiotics. I got much, much sicker before I started to get better. In all of that time, my care switched. I was referred into the COVID care clinic at Emory. And when my care switched over from my local doctors to the Emory doctors and nurses, some of my medications changed, some of my protocols changed and just naturally uh, worked through the life cycle of the virus started to get better. Um, And in November, December, I started noticing that I could, do things such as I was, (laughs) I had such a hard time during the, the acute phase, I couldn't take a shower every day. I couldn't get up and walk to the bathroom without help. There was no way I could walk up a flight of stairs. I was literally in a wheelchair for a while. I was very, very ill. But by about November, December, started to feel a little bit better um, was starting to be able to be up and around. I had to move my office from work to home, so I was able to work for a couple of hours a day, things like that. But in January, we reached the goal of being able to wean completely off of my oral steroids because my lungs needed to to work on their own. It's just the natural progression of being on medication like that. You don't want to be on an oral steroid long-term. It's not good for your body overall. Um, So we were finally successful. It took us three attempts, but we finally did it. But when those oral steroids were gone, it was a victory for my lungs because they were healthy enough to operate on their own for the most part. But then I started noticing that there were some other symptoms that got worse. It was almost like a trade-off.
0: You have this this kind of inflection point where you're finally able to get off these these oral steroids, but then other issues pop up. Tell me a little bit about what's been happening in that time since and the issues you've been dealing with.
1: So some of the things that, that happened as far as symptoms, some of them were a continuation all the way through, and some of them were rather new after the oral steroids. Like um, I had some minor issues with taste and smell during the acute phase of the illness, but those symptoms are much worse now. Some of the body aches and chills and unusual sensations that happen on my skin are much different. They're much more intense. Um, I've got things like insomnia that is just mind blowing. There are some nights that I literally do not sleep at all. Um, and, and some of the more bothersome things that impact daily life would be the brain fog, um, fatigue, headaches that are much more frequent than they were before I get dizzy easily but like trying to keep my train of thought during a conversation word recall things like that Um, for instance just so that I could keep track of my thoughts for talking with you today I've had to make myself notes so that I could remember things and so that I could read certain words in case I could not recall them. Um, So it's been quite a challenge to navigate because when you think you have cleared some significant hurdles, this illness keeps coming back with a gut punch over and over and over because I really don't ever know what a day is going to hold. Um, And I, I don't know if you can tell, but... I can't speak for a very long time because of the hoarseness daily, I lose my voice. Um, And and it just depends on how much talking I do um, as to how long I'll have my voice throughout the day.
0: This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Adrienne Levesque. She's been dealing with COVID-19 and its after effects for a full year. This is something that you've been dealing with it seems probably daily for a year now. How has that been for you emotionally? How has that been for you and your family? Tell me a little about that.
1: This has been probably the most significant emotional battle I have been through. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy for people who have have not experienced COVID, especially in the manner that I've experienced it, but to be shut away in your home, unable to do and enjoy the things that you have your entire life. You know, I've been away from my family. I haven't been able to see everyone. We missed out on holidays, birthdays, all of our family traditions that we've, all. I guess we've just taken them for granted. My husband and I lost them all for the last year. And that's been very overwhelming. And not just the social aspect of things, but to physically be ill, to physically be too weak to do the things that I want to do, um, and really to be too physically ill to do the things that I have to do. My husband has had to take over things. He, He does all of the shopping, all of the grocery shopping, all of everything, because there's just no way that I could, um, cooking, you know, something simple like that, that I used to enjoy tremendously. There are very few times that I can take on, you know, a traditional Southern meal. (laughs) I cook from scratch and I spend a lot of time in my kitchen, but, um, that's very hard to do for, for a year. Those things get overwhelming you just don't think when you get sick about all of the things that an illness can impact and for it to have been that way for a year is, gosh, I just can't put it into words. It's it's why I started to reach out to find support in the community online because there are no in-person support groups, or at least there weren't at the time. The um The nurses at Emory were the ones that suggested, you know, go on Facebook and try to find some support groups there. And and I did find some and they were great, but there was nothing specific to Georgia. So that's why I started this group in Georgia for COVID long haulers, because we all need someone to talk to. We need someone who understands. It's so isolating to feel badly and to, and to lose so much, but then to not have someone to talk to that truly understands, that, that compounds um, the distress, the emotional, um, just feeling so overwhelmed.
0: I know that the science is still developing here, but some estimates is into the double digits of people who are infected with the coronavirus do see these long-term effects. Talk to me a little bit about that community, you know, and and your experience with it. It feels like a lot of attention has been paid to the numbers of acutely ill people, or unfortunately, the number of people who have died of COVID-19. And there's some conversation about, about long haulers, but do you feel like there is enough?
1: Unfortunately, I don't feel like there's enough of a focus on those of us who have long haul issues Um, I hear estimates between 20 and 30% of all of those who are diagnosed with COVID um, have long-haul issues. Unfortunately, for my experience, I feel like I wasn't counted. Um, You know, I counted in the number of positive cases, but because I wasn't hospitalized and because I survived it, there was no focus on my particular circumstance. By and large, the money that has been focused on COVID has gone for acute care, has gone for things like that. I do not doubt that there is significant need and there are not enough dollars to be invested in all of the areas of COVID care. However, there are so many of us that go for months and months or now many of us have reached our one year anniversary and we're still requiring a lot of care we still don't have the answers we are basically the trailblazers we're working with these doctors on the front lines to try to to discover how long haulers will be treated going forward
0: my understanding is that there is a growing interest in this and, and some signs we've seen of that at the federal level. My understanding is that the National Institutes of Health has started uh, looking at this. So I'm wondering, Adrian, you know, it's been a year. This is a time when a lot of people are getting access to vaccines. Have you been able to get vaccinated? And what is dealing with COVID long term? What does what that meant for your prospects to get vaccinated?
1: So I have elected not to get vaccinated right now I still have antibodies. Um, so I'm grateful for that, but quite honestly, for me, I haven't been satisfied with knowing enough about the safety, um, of the vaccinations that are available. Um, and because we have a history of documented vaccine injury in my children, um, it's just something that I'm not willing to risk. The safety on just yet. Um, so I will hopefully maintain my antibodies for quite a while and see some success as far as safety goes for those of us who are in the post-COVID or COVID long-haul situation.
0: This has been a time when I think a lot of people in the U.S. have been thinking about a life post COVID. Have you been able to put your head there? Does this pandemic feel like it's something that has an endpoint f- for you at this point with, with so much uncertainty about your condition?
1: Actually, there's a lot of fear for me. Um, I am actually very scared to go out of my house. I, I go to my office <laughs> to pick up necessary documents to work. Um, I go outside. If I go anywhere, um, I'm usually outside and away from people for me. I don't know when I'll feel comfortable being in a crowd of people. I don't know when I'll feel comfortable with someone walking up within an arm's reach of me. Um, someone that I'm not related to, you know, a stranger, I don't know when that will be a reality where I would feel um, at ease. Um, I guess because I have been so sick for so long, I may have a little bit of um, panic related to it. I'm not sure. Maybe it is trauma related. I'm not sure. But I can't wrap my head around a reality where I am... In a concert setting or at a big ball game, and I used to love doing those things. I just can't see myself doing it anytime soon.
0: For just a, a listener who has maybe kind of heard about COVID long haulers, what would you want them to know about people like yourself who are who are still dealing with kind of the the long effects of a coronavirus infection?
1: Well, first of all, I I think the most important thing that I am hearing from people in our Um, Georgia support group a lot of people don't feel heard they're not finding the care that they need they're frustrated because people don't believe that some of the symptoms that they're having are real they just would like to be validated Um, remember that for those of us who have been sick for so long we do struggle to complete daily tasks we we can't just snap out of it. These things are medical, they're biological. We're not having psychosomatic symptoms. <laughs> we're having documented issues. and it's also that we're that all of this is happening in the world of the unknown. So you know give us a little space, give us a little bit of um, grace to, to work through our frustration, you know, be, be a, a soft place for someone to land. Um, and, and if you, if someone that you know, that you love is struggling, um, listen, just listen.
0: Adrienne Levesque lives in Gwinnett County, Georgia. She's one of the many people dealing with the long-term effects of a coronavirus infection. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary.
1: I'm Max Hines, executive chef at Breaker Breaker and host of Just Set, a podcast featuring the folks moving Atlanta's culinary scene forward. I've worked in restaurants for most of my life and heard countless stories from the people who make your dining experiences possible, some inspiring, some heartbreaking, all of them important. Listen as Atlanta chefs, mixologists, farmers, and more talk about opening restaurants, concocting the perfect drink, or supplying local produce, all while shining a light on challenges in the industry. W-A-B-E dot org slash Just Set or your favorite podcast platform.